Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations, explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless washing wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP for 20% off all SRD20 products today. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by Blind Grass Camouflage Systems. Welcome to the most realistic, durable, and versatile camouflage system available. Tired of constantly having to rebrush your blinds? The smell of rotting grass in your blind? Or grass that pokes and cuts? Or grass mats that have no depth in color and don't last throughout a season? No more cutting brush. Our patent pending blind grass will not rot or mildew and is 100% waterproof. It's available in mats or bundles for any application, whether you have a permanent blind, a boat blind, or a small layout blind. And it comes in natural dead grass colors and is paintable to match your unique surroundings. You can visit us on the web at www.blindgrass.com to place your order today. Alright everybody, welcome back to a new episode of the Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And tonight, if you're watching us right here on Instagram Live, you can see we have a guest on the show with us, our good buddy. We welcome him back to the show, Roland Cortez, the duck man himself. Roland, how's it going tonight, man? Man, it's going good on this what are you, we got Wednesday tonight? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, we uh we hadn't got to talk since uh duck season ended, but uh but man, here we are, huh, buddy? We 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 made it through another season and we're both uh still kicking, it looks like. That we did, man. We made it through another season. You know, well, we're gonna ahead. talk about that tonight on this episode as we're gonna be doing you and I had talked uh, about doing a recap show, and that's exactly what the point of this episode is going to be tonight. Kind of recap, recap the season, man. Kind of, I, I want to get your perspective. Let you have the floor tonight. Kind of talk about the season. I like the story, kind of from the beginning of the season, and uh, and kind of just go through how it progressed for you throughout the whole year, 
because I have my thoughts, and I've kind of expressed my thoughts on previous episodes. Kept everybody, all of you who tune into the podcast, who tune into us on social media, we've kind of updated you on how our season went, what we went through throughout the season. And a lot of you follow Roland over at Dave's Bayou throughout the whole hunting season this year. And Roland, you got a lot of a lot of information. I'm sure to kind of share some, maybe some stories, some experiences on how it all went down this year. But I guess that the main question is now that it's over and we kind of had a few weeks to process it since it's closed. Is kind of walk us through how the season progressed, man, on your end, and, and kind of what your thoughts were on the season. Well, uh, Jacob, I've gone. You know, we've talked. You know, prior to the season opening, and I, you know, I, I kind of had my my opinions, and I, I was very optimistic about the season. You know, it was a we started off very dry, and uh, uh, you know, typically on a dry year, you know, we hold a lot of birds, and, and we were holding something not as much as we've we've held years past. So, you know, I was still optimistic. You know, the season was young; we never really got any good decent fronts, and so. Uh, we went into it, you know, high hopes, and, you know, Saturday morning, you know, came about, and, you know, limits were shot pretty quick on, on all of our blinds, and um, predominantly, you know, it was mostly, you know, shovelers and, and green wing teal, which we were fine with that, you know, I mean, everybody wanted to shoot birds, you know, um, season just opened, so nobody was really being picked, and we just, you know, we, I think we shot out five or six man limit, and, you know, maybe 30 minutes something like that. You know, some some of the blinds limited out a little bit earlier, but man, we were just chugging along. I mean, that's kind of how it started. It started out hot from what it looked like for y'all down in there. And and for those of, of the of the people that are tuning in, maybe for the first time rolling, kind of fill them in on, on what area you were hunting, who you associated with, because the guys who follow follow the podcast, they they've had you, you know, heard you talk about it when you've been on before. But for those who may be stumbling upon us, kind of fill everybody in on, on, on your experience and kind of where you where you were this year, where we're talking about. Well, guys, as y'all know, like I said, I guy full-time for uh, Dave's Bayou Lodge and Outfitting, which we are in northeast Louisiana. We're maybe 20 miles southeast of Monroe, um, right around Mangum, you know, Louisiana, which is south of Rabel. And that's... Uh, um, you know, we have a big lodge, and we have, you know, uh, 4,000 acres of, of CRP, WRP, you know, rice, agricultural, timber, stuff like that. And we're kind of nestled right between the, the Beth, Wachita, Mississippi River, you know, and Highway 15. There's a lot of good duck clubs, a lot of good duck habitat around our farm. And, and uh, man, it's, we're, we're smack dab in the middle of all of it. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. There. Yeah, and Roland, you know, Dave's Bayou is a place that's fairly new in the whole, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're fairly new in the, the game of, of the lodges and all that type of stuff. Over the last couple of seasons, they've made a real big, you know, push in the industry as far as being known as one of the premier destination spots in Louisiana, correct? I am, that, that is correct, you know, um, if, if memory serves me right, uh, uh, the lodge was built in 2017, which before it was a it was a duck club. You know, uh, the uh, Dave's Bay has been around for a while. Um, they pushed uh, aside into the uh, commercial part of it, 
2017, which the, the lodge was built and um, all the other stuff were built in, in between now and uh, now, uh, 2017 and now. So um, now going into the future, you know, they 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 got a lot, you know, rolling into play. Um, they're trying to get, they're trying to uh, give hunters more opportunities, you know, there. So, you know, we have a lot. That's of great, man. And, and, and it's, you know, I heard a lot of people talking this season. I think, I think with, with you joining that team, Roland, to be quite honest with you, I think uh, not only, you know, did people know you from your experience in the industry here in Louisiana and all across the United States in the waterfowl industry, you, you're pretty well known, man. And, and I'm not just saying that to, to blow smoke and, and, you know, but when I talk to people or we have people talk to us about the podcast and, you know, you've been on the show numerous times with us, they say, man, you know, we followed Rowan for years on social media. Um, and I think your presence joining days by you has definitely brought, brought a lot of, good publicity today's uh especially with them trying to break into the commercial side like you talked about rolling because you do you know there's a lot social media plays a big part nowadays and you know that and us being a little bit older generation and i'm saying that with respect to both of our ages you know i think a lot of times uh, people are starting to realize now that our, our age hey if you want to get out there and promote you want to get out there and tell people your story, then you have to play a part in social media. And you do a really good job with that, Roland. And I think those of you who follow Roland will agree with that. And when you do that, in turn, you are bringing a lot of publicity and a lot of value to a place like Days by You, Roland. So I got to I gotta hand it to you, man. And you've done a really good job since joining them. And uh, I think you've you brought a lot of good uh, publicity to, to Days by You, you know? Well, I'm hoping, you know, I'm trying to bring a lot to the table as far as, you know, my social media, you know, platform and all that. And, um, you know, I, I try to, to represent myself in a, in a business manner. Definitely. How, how, how important, Roland, and I know, I know that's kind of obvious, but how important now is social media to a business like Days by You in the waterfowl industry or, or any outdoor business that's out there right now? How how important, in your opinion, is social media? If you're not on the social media train, are you missing out, in your opinion? I think you are, because the younger generation, that's all they do yeah. is social media. So everybody wants to know what everybody's killing every day. So, you know, being on that social media every day, posting pictures, posting updates, um, everybody wants to know what's going on today. And, and you know, social media plays a big part of it you know um we have a, a a guy that handles all our social media um all our, all our media stuff in general and i mean he stays on top of all that taking pictures shooting videos as you can tell lately they've been shooting throwing some little reels out there of stuff that happened to the season you know they're trying to get more trying to get more and more yeah into the social you, you gotta stuff. keep up with it man and like you said y'all got a guy that's full-time one thing that I've realized getting into this 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 you know area of the business, I guess you could call it, over the last couple of years, just with the podcast, with the social media stuff, is I see why it's so important to have somebody full time with you when you in the field. You you know you're making those hunts, you you going to shows to promote the product, you're doing all that stuff. Having somebody full time, and, and they got people now that are going to school for this type of stuff. They're going to school there. They're, uh, you know, they're getting educated on how to make a career out of this. 
And I can tell you, for good content, it, it, it's important to have somebody like that. You know, wouldn't you agree with that? And it is. And, um, you know, us, you know, being the guys, you know, we can only do so much, you know. And, and then, But having – hiring somebody to do this, man, they're very good at editing uh, pictures and videos and stuff. Like I said, I'm just starting to, to really get into the editing part of my pictures and – some of the videos I'm doing, and and but man, have it watching this, uh, this guy do all it's the pretty time. impressive, you know. It, it, it's pretty impressive what, the, what yeah. they got going on with these little reels. And everybody wants nobody really wants a, a long video, they just want you know, that's something that we're, we're grasping now, Jackson and myself. And and you know, whenever we first got into it a couple of years ago, everybody wanted you thought you had to have this feature film, you know, when you had a YouTube channel and you had to have you know, it, it took weeks of times to try to just get the content because we're hunting ourselves we're trying to film it and uh, you don't you can't afford to hire somebody full-time like y'all have the luxury of at, you know at a place like days by you and and i realized very quickly how hard it was to get that content and participate in that hunt you know and now I, i'm i'm almost relieved because a lot of the stuff like you said the content people aren't necessarily looking for a 30-minute video no more content wise they they want these these shorts they want a couple of minutes to consume that information that they're interested in and then they move it on to the next one until next time they see you somebody that they may be interested in and subscribe to or follow so i think it's i think it's changing rolling and uh i think that's probably a, a little bit of a of a blessing for the content creators also because it, it uh it, it lets you put out more content a little bit quicker to the consumer now you know Yep, and, and and that's right. You know, nobody wants a long video. And myself, you know, when I'm watching something, yeah, yeah, like it's short. And we're the same too. We really are. Well, I know I got kind of got sidetracked with that, but we were talking about the season. So for you guys up in North Louisiana, it seemed like it got off to a quick start, like you said. But then, man, to be honest with you, throughout the whole season, rolling y'all were y'all were smoking them, man. So kind of walk us through. You touched right at the beginning of the season. Kind of walk us through from there, how it all went down for you. So, you know, uh, the Sunday of opening weekend was about the same as as the Saturday. You know, limits were shot pretty quick. You know, everybody was happy. Everybody was out. Monday was the same. The first nine days of the season were awesome. I mean, we pretty much we, – we hunt anywhere from – on the weekends, we'll hunt three, four blinds. During the week, we may hunt one to two, possibly three, depending on our groups. And we don't hunt big groups. Uh, we hunt, you know, four to five people plus two guides. So, you know, most of the time, it's, yeah. you're shooting a six-man limit. You know, majority of the ducks were shot for green wing teal. I call this year was the year of the green wing teal because we've shot so many green wing teal this year. It was it was unreal. So going going into the split, you know, um, I came home for a couple of days uh, to, to rest. Then boom, we were off to to Texas on a on a fun hunt. With I, saw I, I saw that. I saw y'all went over to Texas. How how that come um, about? Man, we went to we went with my with my buddy Toby and uh, one of the other guys, Chance Bass. He used to guide for for Toby for seven or eight years, and uh, you know he got tired of being at home because he lives in New Roads, and uh, I mean he was mm -hmm. 11, 12 hours from home, and he wanted to be closer to the house, so he ended up 
coming to Dave's box, which he was a great asset to us. I'm glad he's part of the team this year. So we got the invite to go up there, and, man, we, we hunted uh, two days of uh, lessers, and we hunted one day. We shot some uh, mountains okay. in, a, in a tank pond. I had a great, great time up in Amarillo. There's nothing <laughs> like West Texas. Yeah, I mean, how different is, is West Texas from South Louisiana? For those of us who listen that are from here, more than likely, I mean, what what if you go to West Texas? What's so different about it there, Roland, that separates it from Louisiana? <laughs> There's two things that I notice about West Texas: hmm. the wind always blows. They got big old windmills, and it's flat ground as far as the eye can see, man. Really flat ground. And uh, we shot lessers for two days, which was phenomenal. I, I've got some really good content that I haven't really posted yet, but I think that first day we were like five minutes from New Mexico. Um, we shot, I don't know, 45 or our, our, our no, we limited out on our lessers. We actually had a mule deer walk into the spread. Yeah, that's that pretty was, cool. That was a sight. The wind blew hard. We had a, we, on the way out, we had a dust storm, you know, from all the dust. It was so dry up there. And um, when, uh, we didn't hunt that afternoon because we had shot our geese that uh, that morning. Then the next day set up for a, you know, we scouted that afternoon for some ducks. And we found West okay. Texas had a lot of water this year. Um, So, you know, finding ducks wasn't hard, man. We, we got on it on a uh, we talked to a farmer. We had permission to hunt the uh, tank farm pond, and we set up there. They had quite a few thousand ducks, you know, a lot of pintails and teal and some mallards. Had a lot of geese on it, too, so we, we, we had set up um, for the geese the next morning on the tank pond. And if, if a lot of y'all familiar, you know, Dive Bomb is a, it's a, it's a pretty big uh, company right now. There's a lot yeah. of silhouettes, a lot of clothes. They were there on the hunt, too, with us. So if, if you go on uh, Dive Bomb's um, website they do shark okay. you'll see that hunt we set up on that tank farm pond man we shot we shot our 10 man limit of mallards we shot our off ducks widgeon pintails and we, we shot a couple couple of geese you know we had a lot of geese working but they didn't want to commit to it so we ended up not shooting um the geese uh but man we had an awesome mallard hunt we shot some ducks right in, i mean right there in the wheelhouse and like i said y'all can go back to watch that video on dive bomb and you'll see it and uh, we scouted that afternoon for some geese, and we we found some geese in a wheat field. Um, but the next morning was oh, wow. 15 with no wind, so uh, it was cold that morning. We you know we set up in a in a cornfield. Uh, we shot our lessers. Uh, we ended up shooting that morning. They had a lot of speckled belly geese, yeah. and y'all know I love speck. And uh, yeah, we ended up shooting seven or eight or nine speckled bellies that morning. Um, we ended up having to leave early because we had to head back to Louisiana. It was a 10-hour ride from, from Monroe. So we ended up at 10 o'clock, and we had like 42, uh, 42 uh, lessers, and then we had seven or eight specs, and then they ended up shooting more um, after we left. You know, they ended up limiting out on, on everything. So, you know, came back, you know, we came back to Louisiana, got ready for – uh, for the second split, and man, the second split started off just like the first split ended. Um, we hunted a, a, another field that we just put water on. We were watching it. Uh, me and me and the, uh, another guy went in there. We shot, you know, our thirty birds really? in thirty minutes. We were done. 
quick like that. A lot of green wing teal. Pretty much 90% of the bag or 99% of the bag was green wing teal. Pretty much all the Damn. So it, it sounds like you said green wing teal for y'all seemed to be the story this season. Man, it, it was um, every morning I tell people, you know, when we're sitting down, we're having breakfast um, in the in the downstairs where we meet all where we meet all the uh, customers at. I said, man, if there's two birds, I know we're going to shoot today. It's going to be a green wing and a pintail. And a pintail. Yeah. That is two birds that, that I know, man, if you sit in that blind long enough. Yeah. Gonna, yeah, because from the videos, man, y'all had y'all shot pintail all season long, it looked like, you know. Was that the case pretty much? I mean, uh, that was pretty much the case, man. I mean, mo most of the blinds are shooting five limits of pintail, six limits of pintail. You know, however many you wanted to shoot, man, um, or however many you allowed yeah. to shoot at the time, it, it was happening. And um, so going back, back into that, you know, in, you know, there's always a certain time between Christmas and uh, a couple of days after the second spring mm -hmm. where it starts to slow down. Which it did. I mean, we had a little, a little long period, man. Well, we wasn't shooting as many ducks. You know, we were shooting twenty, you know, twenty-five ducks per blind. But I mean, or sometimes less. It just depends, you know, on the morning. You know, man. Then it kind of went off for a couple of days, which it always happens. You know, I mean, it, it. We were just stale, man. No, no birds were really moving. There was no weather. Then, boom, here comes this big yeah. cold front for Thanksgiving. The, 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 the ice board, Correct. whatever they were calling it. Some actual cold weather for Louisiana. So it, it hit. It was hit. It, we, it, it hit, man. It was 12 degrees. Everything was frozen. So that, no, everybody was expecting, man, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So that Friday, we did all right. I mean, you know, we, we the mileage showed up. We shot, we shot some mileage. We shot speckle bellies over the ice. We shot pintails, I mean, some green wing teal. It, it was a good hunt. So then Christmas came, you know, every, we, we shut down for Christmas. Everybody came home. So when we came back after okay. Christmas, it was still frozen. We were gotcha. the thaw out. So, man, we shot, we shot him good one day. But, man, uh, once it started to thaw out, that's when it happened. The light switch clicked. All these birds were hungry. The mallards were here. We were shooting ducks, man. A lot of big ducks, a lot of miles were getting shot, you know, gray ducks, stuff like that. And it just, it, it was good for a while. And then again, typically like it happens every year, you get into January, yeah. you have a long time in January. And for us, it never, it, it slowed down some, but it never really got really, yeah. really bad to where we were only shooting, you know, a, a, a few ducks. We were always shooting. You know, a, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Looking at looking at y'all social so media that, throughout the year, that. it like I said, it seemed to be pretty consistent from the beginning to the end this year. They, they didn't have that dead period like we we kind of used to experience, and like you mentioned, you know. And like I said, it, it slowed down some, but man, it, it didn't slow down. Yeah, I agree with that. Does. I agree. Um, you know. We had to think outside the box sometime. We we have several mm -hmm. rest areas on the farm. And, uh, tip, you know, we started to hunt. We started to get out of the box. You know, we started to get away from the pits, started to hunt in some of this WRP, CRP stuff, stand, you know, standing in some short trees. And 
you know, we, we were shooting ducks because the ducks were kind of getting a little yeah. stale of where we were hunting them at. So we'd get up in the trees, man, and, and, and we'd shoot them nice and tight in the trees. Some good hunts were had there. A lot of ducks were using that that thermal cover. You know, a lot of ducks were, were, were trying to yeah. get where they yeah. couldn't be hunted. And, um, you know, but besides that, man, I mean, we really, it just really never slowed down, but like we've talked about before. Yeah, them I south agree. Winds we talked about that before. Right. South winds. Explain that. Kind of. I know we've talked about that between us before, Roland. But kind of explain that the, the whole south wind theory. Because I've had people ask me. They say, "Hey, we heard y'all on the podcast talk about a south wind." But man, I always thought a cold front was better. And we get a lot of people. Let, let me kind of kind of focus in on, on what I'm trying to say here. We get a lot of people when, when we do these podcasts or you, you on social media, you have a big presence. We talked about that. You'll get a lot of beginners, you know, coming into the sport that are interested in waterfowl hunting. They want to get into it, and they try to absorb that information like a sponge on what to do, how to do it. And, and they come to places like, like you and, and us and other, you know, people that are in the industry, and they'll ask questions like that. And I've had people this season, beginners, say, hey, I heard y'all talk about a south wind. They'll shoot me a message. Man, kind of give me your take on that. What you mean? Why is a south wind better than a north wind? What Kind of explain that, your thoughts on that, Roland. I'll, I'd like to get your take on that as well. A lot of, time, a lot of times on a north wind, you know, cold weather comes with a north wind. You know, sometimes freezing temperatures come with a north wind. So a lot of times, if it's a strong north wind, these ducks will shoot straight past them. They'll go all the way. Now, this is a theory. This is no Correct. Way. This is not Correct. That's what I'm asking. Your opinion. opinion. I don't want nobody to take this as, as for granted. So my theory is that, you know, when these big cold fronts come down, especially if there's a lot of ice and snow with it, the ducks will shoot straight past you and go all the way to the coast. Where somebody says, well, man, I'm on the coast. You're, you Technically, you are, but you're not. These ducks will push all the way into the Gulf of Mexico on, on, a, on a north wind. And on a north wind, the ducks can go all the way offshore and get all the way on that last island to get out of the north wind. So if you hunt the marsh, a lot of times these ducks will go offshore yeah. to get away from the pressure. And on a north wind, they don't have to come in. But if that south wind blows, they have to get out of the Gulf of Mexico because it gets too rough and they have to go inshore. Same thing goes into play within North Louisiana. All them ducks that are on the coast know, for some reason, a duck knows that it's warming up. And that duck will fly from the Gulf of Mexico all the way, however far he has to go, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Stuttgart, Missouri. That duck will go all the way as far as he has to go to get his food and eat, and then he'll fly. He'll fly all the way back yeah. to Louisiana, which we know that's we know that's right because there's telemetry telemetry today that that proves that that ducks will get up in the morning and lay child. And yeah, fly all I mean over the last couple of years they've had stories of birds that proved that you know there was a pintail they talked about. Uh, I think it was last year there was a pintail that was they were they they knew it was in the Gulf of Mexico and it was flying up into Arkansas and Missouri. Then they had a story right before the season broke this year where I think it was a pintail, and I could be wrong on that, but uh, the species, but they had tracked it. You know, it was it was banded, I think, here in Louisiana, if you remember that story. 
and and ended up going all the way on the migration pattern, which is a little different. Of, of, you know, that's the end of the year migration back up north, but had went past the primary potholes, crossed the Panama Sea into Russia. They had actually seen that bird go, and then ended up back in Louisiana. That was that was kind of crazy, man. You know, to think a bird would go that far. So, Jacob, every morning on the south wind, you know, we are north of Catahoula. We are, you know, we're north of all that. So, on a typically on a south wind, you know, maybe not first thing in the morning, but come seven or eight o'clock, big droves of ducks coming out of the south, coming from that Catahoula kind of uh, uh, spot south of us. Big, big droves of pintails. Yeah. You know, headed north. So, this year we've shot uh, several duck bands, and a lot of them pintail bands were actually banded right there in Grand Chenier uh, uh, in Cameron, yeah. you know, right around Cameron Parish. So that proved my theory that a lot of them pintails that are in southwest Louisiana or even in southeast Louisiana, they pass straight over our farm every day. Look, there are some days on the south wind. We see thousands upon thousands of pintails headed north. And then on a north wind, okay. they headed back south. So every day we, we 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 hunt traffic, man. There's birds passing over this farm every day, going from point yeah. A to point B, wherever they're going at. And and that's what every day you see them ducks. And on the south wind, man, there's a really big push to the north. All them ducks, man, are headed from where from the coast or wherever, headed north. And uh, maybe that afternoon they're, they're coming back. We just don't yeah, see them. Yeah, it could be that's a good fortune made there, too, because most people weren't on the afternoons, you know. And, and I was able this year, Ron, to make so, a couple uh, afternoon hunts. Uh, we went over to Kaplan, Louisiana, with Lance and them this year. And, you know, that wasn't any kind of wildlife management area, nothing like that, that we were hunting where it was private land on the farm that we hunted. And I can't tell you the amount of pintails we saw in the afternoon that were on the move. We actually had a had a really good hunt in the afternoon with uh, we living in our pintails, man. And, I mean, that's something that I haven't shot in South Louisiana in the marshes in a couple of years or seen large numbers like that. Let me say that. So those birds are definitely moving possibly in the afternoon. I agree with that, you know. That was, that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, the telemetry, man, on all these birds today, man, are, are, are just awesome. And it's painting the picture on where all these birds are going at. And I'm looking forward to what all the new studies they're doing on these birds on where, where yeah. they're going at. Yeah, I think I think as duck owners we're all, we probably all get more into the science of it, uh, more and more nowadays. From the farming practices to the kind of, you know, the availability with technology to study the patterns of the birds, um, which is amazing, man, because if you, like you or myself or, you know, any of us that are true duck hunters, and that's what we live for every every year when that time of year comes around, uh, it really provides us with some information that our ancestors and our, our forefathers that never had the technology to be able to have an idea about, you know. So it's, it's we you know, we talk about all, you know, the bad sometimes. You hear people talk about the bad stuff. Uh, it's not like it used to be, but I tell you what, we got some stuff uh, with technology and data and all that stuff nowadays where we can understand a lot more than we, you know, our, our grandfathers and stuff did. Wouldn't you agree with that? 
And I do, man. And, and uh, like I said, the uh, the technology, man, is here today for us. And I mean, uh, so it, it's there. So, I mean, you can see it on, on social media. You can follow it. There's a lot more out. I mean, look, they got right now, I got some buddies of mine banding ducks and putting radio uh, GPS collars on them right now to see where these ducks are going at or what trail they can take to go back up to the breeding ground. Yeah, they're doing they're doing up in North, uh, uh, North yeah. Louisiana. And I know down here in South, I saw LSU yeah, was banding. doing some banding about a week or two ago. Uh, so I guess it's that time of year where they they, they kind of doing all that type of stuff before they make the uh, the migration back up north. So that's that's good. That's what we're talking about. That's that gives us information that uh, you know helps us definitely. So you know. This plain and simple. This year, when you look back at 2022-2023 season, Louisiana was this one of the best seasons in years that we've had. What's your opinion on it, man? I, I'll give it a nine. It was better. It was better than last year as far as you know duck numbers were. I mean, we we killed. We shot a thousand more ducks really? than we shot last year. Yeah. So that's so the numbers are short. They were on the so, uptick, definitely at that point, dude. Yeah, I mean the numbers. So I mean, we had more ducks. I mean, it was a better season than the yeah. years past. You know, um, so I mean, there ain't really much we can complain about. I mean, they was, it was man. A good I year. mean, you know, with us, we hunt all public pretty much, except like I said, we made a trip over to Kaplan. Uh, we did make the trip over to uh, to the eastern part or the western part of the state, uh, going to Hackberry down there, begin the season for a youth weekend. But overall, man, I, like I tell my friends and all my buddies that hunt, I said we could not look back at this season and complain one bit, you know. And you always going to talk to people, Roland, and you know this, that'll tell you, hey, you know, I didn't have a real great year still, but. I think those of us who stuck it out overall, everybody is pretty happy with, with this season. Now, one thing I'll say, and you not hunting as much public land, you know, with where you were, I can tell you this much, something that was different this year I saw on public land was that the hunters stuck it out this year. They hunted, you know, to the very end of the season. I was running the guys, we were having to get long, you know, even into January to try to secure those 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 holes that we wanted to hunt on public land. Uh, there was a lot of traffic up until the very last weekend, which is something that we don't normally see, if I'm being honest, you know. But I think in turn, when you get a good season like we had this year, it just kind of makes sense if, if you know what I'm talking about there because the guy said, hey, it's worth going out there still. It's worth not packing up the decoys for the season. Uh, we still killing birds, man, you know? And uh, and, and guys stuck it out this year. So, you know, hats off to, to all the hunters that, that made it through to the end. Um, I think a lot of guys were rewarded for it. Um, and, and I think overall, when you look back at it, it, uh, it was a pretty good season. I would have to agree with you. If I rated it out of 10, I would tell you it's probably a, a solid nine. Like you said, I would agree with that, you know? Location was, you know, location was key, uh, Jake. You know, I mean, if you had to be where the ducks wanted to be, and and you know, some of these places that shot ducks, 
you know, for all these years, may not have had ducks in places that usually don't hold ducks had them. Man, you just had to be where they were at. You know, a friend of ours, Nate, Nate Burton over at Fallen Tide, you know Nate well. We, we were all on a podcast together a while back. We had you all on the show. And Nate had a comment, which is still sticking with me, from this, this season. He said, you know, I know, I know at the end of the season he sounded like he was kind of struggling in some areas. And he told me, he said, he said, I really think it's kind of weird to share the way it's like I said, some of the places that were traditionally real good over the last several years, he said, I'm finding that those areas haven't been as good this year. And areas that were not so good are kind of the areas that the birds are in, it seems like, this year, which it was kind of flip-flop. That was his point he was making. And, uh, and I thought that was pretty interesting when he said that, Roland, because you know, we were talking about imprinting, and then, like, for example, this year, we had a large number of birds in Louisiana. We had a good season. We just talked about that. How likely, in your opinion, is it that we see a return of those birds coming back down to Louisiana uh, next season or in the seasons coming? What's your opinion on that? Well, a lot of them birds made it south this year, so they're going to imprint again. Everything's gonna gonna uh, base off of, you know, your your fall flight, man. How many baby ducks are made? You know, uh, uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick a dead horse again that everybody doesn't like to talk about. Ducks Unlimited Delta Waterfowl does a lot yeah. for conservation. Without without them organizations, there wouldn't be any ducks left. Yeah. So. If if the ducks get back get back to the breeding grounds healthy, we have a good hatch. There's a lot of water on the breeding ground right now, so next year should be another good year for us. I'm just hoping that you know we have some type of weather. You know, I mean, we just have good weather for next year again. But man, again, we gotta have bird. We gotta have habitat on the ground. Right. Have birds in the sky. Man. Yeah, and I mean, we can forecast all we want, Roland. You don't know until it hits, and I. I've learned that even as I'm getting older now, you know, it's fun to talk about it, but we really don't know until that season hits, you know, and, and those conditions hit. We don't know. You no, know? And look, it's a crapshoot. Let's rewind to when we talked about beginning of the season. I mean, we, we talked about the numbers. We talked about yeah. the prediction. I mean, the prediction. I mean, it, it really turned out to yeah. be a great season for Louisiana. In, in general, for everybody that I know. So the numbers, the birds that were killed did not dictate the numbers that were, were, were given. So the hatch was better yeah. than what they thought. But, you was. know, to be fair, they had a lot of missing information from when, the, you know, through COVID, all that type of stuff. You know, they, they, they told us that because That's they hadn't right. got the survey, they hadn't got to do what they normally do. So they were predicted based off of the information they had, but there was a lot of gray areas, you know. But they didn't. They didn't. They didn't have information. They didn't truly know, you know. And I think it ended up surprising everybody, honestly, because if when we talked at the beginning of the season and we talked about that and we were predicting all this stuff, giving our takes on it, a lot of people were kind of predicting doom and gloom for the season. If you remember that, you know. And uh, and man, you know, here we are now in February after the season, and we a lot of people were wrong, you know. And uh, a lot of the, 
the, the birds we were shooting were a lot of juvenile birds, which is really yes. good, man. You want to see a good, a lot of juvenile birds because that means exactly. they had a good, That's a, a very good, good point. We talked about that before. We, I remember the beginning of the year when we sat down, we said, hey, if we see some juveniles, you know, that's going to be a good sign. And there were a lot of juvenile birds. That's a very good point, you know. Uh, because I know, like you mentioned, teal were the big thing for y'all, where y'all were. You know, believe it or not, for us, we hunted the marsh first split down on the coast. We hunted, you know, we had teal. We had green teal. But we didn't see big, big numbers like we saw last year. Jackson and myself, we, we were talking about. We said we, we actually killed more green wings last year than we killed this year. Uh, but, but Gadwall was the story for us, man. You know, Gadwall, we killed probably 90 to 95% Gadwall throughout the season on public land. That's what we did. And I can tell you, Roland, that the timber, you mentioned something a while ago about Dave Bayou. As it got later, y'all adjusted, kind of went to that cover and started hunting something that cover to have some success. Man, for us, that was the, that was the ticket for us. Two seconds for the season, we made that call to go to the timber, and when we went to that cover rolling, the birds were there this year. That's where they wanted to be. They were trying to get away from from, I guess, the pressure elsewhere. You know. And um, you know, a, a tip for a lot of people, and I, I, I hate to give tips because I'm giving y'all some of my secrets, but man, come January, look for thermal cover, man. Look for for our trees, look for uh, for coffee beans, look for something that's thermal cover so these birds can get away from predators, including us. So if you have trees or you have a field with water on that's got some tall grass in it, man, them ducks want to get in that cover. They want to get away from predators, which includes us. So that's when that WRP, CRP, that's when that uh, cypress break or that swampy area or flooded yeah. timber comes into play. And that's a good point because, you know, like us living in South Louis, Southeast Louisiana, you know, on, on the coast, basically, you know, we hunt marsh, and, and you you not so much anymore because now, you, you know, you guide and you're doing that stuff, so you, you occupy. But you grew up hunting the same stuff that we hunt, me and Jackson hunt now. And, you know, we'll hunt the, we'll hunt the saltwater marshes, the freshwater marshes, but then we also have the places like the Chaplain Basin, and you know, the central part of the state. They got a lot of a lot of cypress breaks, and swamp, and stuff like that. And you know, I've always heard guys say, "Man, that that marsh, we we smoked them during the first split. We smoked them during the first split, and then the second split, it just does. It kind of nose dives down. It kind of takes that that dive on, you know, maybe certain species like gadwall and stuff like that." And some years it's not the case. That's not what I'm trying to say. Every year is like that. But I do see a tail off, like you mentioned just now, giving that tip, where some of those species, they do tail off pretty good in those open areas where they're getting a lot of pressure, a lot of boat traffic. A lot, you know, because we look at the marshes down here in South Louisiana, Roland, it's not just hunter pressure that we have. You, we, we hunt the same areas that a lot of people go fishing for speckled trout, redfish. Uh, they bass fishing. You know, they do that year-round because that's the great thing about being in Louisiana. You can fish year-round if you want to fish year-round. So you constantly have pressure on areas that, even though we're not necessarily hunting them in the afternoon, there's other types of boat traffic and pressure. And I think, I do think there's a lot of truth to what you said in that tip you gave there, is that, hey, focus on some of those sheltered areas like, the, the you know, going to the to the cover and the timber and stuff like that because 
those birds are trying to suck back in there as best as they can to kind of get away from that, you know? Um, yeah, man, and to me, pressure is our biggest issue we have right now. You know, well, and look, I love to hunt. As y'all know, I hunt every day I can. But man, these 60 days, six ducks, all of, we're putting a lot of pressure on the resource, man. And these, these ducks are evolving. You know, they're learning to adjust to us. You know, not us having to adjust to them. They're learning to adjust to our behavior. And hunting, hunting public land, you cannot eliminate the pressure. There's always some type of pressure. There's always boat traffic, people fishing. There's always some type of pressure. So when you can hunt these WMAs that you got to stop at 12 o'clock. I mean, look, I was bad on it too, man. Back one of the, the prime public lands I hunted, we had to stop at 12 and I didn't like it because a lot of times that you wouldn't start shooting ducks till 11. And that reason why is because them ducks know come that's right they're adapting to it and in hunting public land you cannot do that but when you hunt private land yeah. you can so that's one of the things that, that i like about where i'm at now you know we don't hunt don't past pass. 11 o'clock all night all activity has to stop at noon gotcha that's the cut so after 12, the birds get to rest. And look, when you go on that farm at 1 o'clock, it's covered up with birds, snow geese, speckle-bellied. You see a difference. No. That's right. And regardless of that, we still have several rest areas. But you don't touch it all. Yeah. So the birds always have a place to hunt, I mean, to, to, to rest, but... In the morning, I you know there's still activity. There's you know there's gunshots, there's stuff. Yeah. In the afternoon, there's none of that. Let me ask you this. So a lot of times, uh, right behind the lodge, we have some uh, some flooded fields that, you know, that the, the the clients or the customers get to watch in the afternoon. They get to watch them all fill up with birds, man. And it, it's but <clears throat> going back to pressure. Right now, I think pressure is, is our biggest issue that we have, not just in Louisiana, everywhere. More and more people want to hunt, and I can't blame them. I want to Hell hunt yeah. as many days as possible. And I was talking with somebody the other day, and, and uh, we were talking about, you know, the old days. back, and, I, and going back to when, you know, I was younger. Everybody worked, man. Everybody worked a, 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 a five-day-week job. Most people hunted on a weekend. You may have hunted 25 <laughs> days out of the year. But nowadays... A lot of people hunt 60 yeah. days, including me. I hunt every day of the year, every day of the season. But I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people out there that hunt every day, man, and it's putting more and more pressure on a limited resource, and, and the pressure is starting to hurt us, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing out there. I mean, that You know, that's a really good point you bring up, you know, talking about the old days versus now. And that's something I never even thought about, Roland. But yeah, the, the work schedules have changed for people now. You know, you got you got guys that work shift work, or you know they you know, and they can hunt during the week maybe. And to where back in the day, you're right, it was more you know the way the society was. It was a Monday through Friday deal, uh, even a Monday through Saturday deal for a lot of guys. You know, 
And now, yeah, I mean, you're 100% right on that, and he is whoever you were speaking to. But there's constant throughout the week. It's not just the weekends. You know, you get a guy who works Monday through Friday, and then he gets to the weekend, and he can't kill nothing. And, you know, he's thinking to himself, well, what the hell I'm doing wrong, you know? When in, in reality, probably a huge part of his problem is pressure, like you talked about, you know? Because the, that, those errors are being pounded and pounded and pounded throughout the week. I mean, you know, on the WMAs, there's not a day of the week that you don't pull up to the launches and there's some there's boats there at hunting, you know? So they don't get a break like you were talking about. I started driving, I think, in like in 1991, which I was still in high school at the time. So this particular public land that I hunted, I've been hunting it for a long time. And I remember, you know, driving up, maybe going late to school or not going to school or maybe had a job and didn't go to whatever. And I'm pulling up, it's a Monday, and you were the only person yeah. there. But if you do that today on a Monday, they got 40 trucks. At the Bro, I was going to work. I work, you know, an hour from here, from my home. I'm between three wildlife management areas. One of them is out of the question because it's not what it used to be. It used to be a phenomenal waterfowl, and you know what it is without me saying it, but it was well-known back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. But my point is there's two other WMAs that still have a good bit of hunters that hunt those areas. And I cross them, going to work. And I, in my schedule, I work, you know, Monday through Friday during the off-season, you know, so I can hunt the weekends. And on a Monday this year, and I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts that me and Jackson did, um, on a Monday, we counted one day, there was tw there's two launches right next to each other. There was 32 trucks, I think, at one la launch. This was on a Monday now. We counted this year. And there was another seven or eight at the other launch, which is a small launch, right across the road from it this year. That's on a Monday that they had that much pressure. Now, Let's assume not all those people are waterfowl hunting, okay? Cut it in half. You're still looking at 15 to 16 hunters that are, are hunting, you know, or maybe even more, maybe even 20 between the two launches that are hunting those areas Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all through the weekend, you know? It just increases as you get toward the weekend. So, yeah, that's definitely an issue is pressure. That's, that's a lot of people's problem if they probably – not killing ducks, that's just a piece of the problem. Let's say that, you know. Yeah, and, and that's just like I said, it's just my opinion, but man, overall, man, it was yeah, one hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, you know, doomy and gloomy, but man, it was a great year, man. If you didn't shoot no ducks this year, yeah, you may look for a different <laughs> yeah, profession. I mean, I agree, I agree with that. Uh, it was a great year to get in the waterfowl home if you were new starting out because I could tell you. If you were new starting out, you're going to be fired up for next season. And you're going to tell your brothers, and you're going to probably have more guys coming next season, you know. So when you have that success, yep, it just increases, which is great for the sport. You know, it's great for the great for the sport, great for everybody involved in it, great for the industry, man. It's a good thing, you know. And it was. Like I said, I enjoyed it, man. It was a good year, you know, and uh... – I know it had to end, 
And uh, I was kind of ready for it to end. Then I wasn't, you know, it was kind of, you kind of got that love and hate relationship with Duff, man. You want it to end, but you don't want it to end. And once it ends, you're like, man, I wish I had 60 more I'm happy for the first, I'm happy for and, that about the week after it ends. Kind of sad. You get that, that feeling. You're out of your routine at that point, you know, that week afterwards. And then about a week passes, and it's like I get a spark roll, and I'm ready to roll again. You know, because I'm I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we did this and we could have done this. And I know those birds are still there. Boy, if I had extra days, I could go at them again. You know, it's a challenge, man. It's a challenge. But it's 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 what keeps us going until that next season. Like I tell everybody, I stay mad at them 365. I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm like a, I, I'm a you know, up-and-coming uh, Roland Cortez when it comes to the passion and the love for it. I say that because – I used to, I used to love the. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for about two days, man. After that, I'm mad at. Him. Yeah. I want to kill everybody. Yeah, I got fly. you. I'm with. Hey, I, we even got me and Jackson got to go kill some specs this year, man. And I have to admit, we had a blast doing that. We, I can understand now why all of you guys that hunt geese and specs in Louisiana, you are ate up with spec hunting. And a lot of guys I talk to, they'll tell me they'll say, "Man, Jacob, you get into that." You ain't gonna want a Harley duck hunt no more. You're gonna want a spec hunt. You're gonna want a goose hunt. Oh. And anybody that knows me, man, knows I'd rather shoot spec yeah. every day than a duck. I'll trade that every day. I can see why. It is fun. I'll say that. The you know, skill that you um, gotta have, Roland, to call those birds in as compared to ducks, it's a whole nother level that you gotta be on. At least from what I saw this year, and I have no experience with it long-term wise but it's awesome man to see those birds drop that landing gear and work in it's different than a duck they tougher when you get them that close to where you could shoot them you've done something you've done something at that point you know it's pretty cool man like i said that's what got me started in all this man but my love for speckle bellies has grown more more than ducks. There's just something about them big orange feet and that orange bill, man. Them birds breaking out of the sky, you know, coming straight down, and, and they respond to that call, man. If you can blow a spec call really good, you can make them birds do yeah. what you want. I, I saw that, man. That's pretty cool, you know. And, uh... and, and, a, and a lot of the guys at the uh, – you know, at the lodge, they, uh, they say I speak speck and English, which I don't know what that is, but everybody, um, and, and like I said, speckle bellies hunting, man, I love it. Um, you know, I try to be the best as, as I can on speckle belly call, which I'm, I'm good on. I'm not as, I mean, I'm probably, I'm getting better because it, it, there's always a um, a learning curve. You know, I'm you, always trying to you learn. You're being modest. Better. I have to tell and, you, you're being modest there because. I've yeah. had some guys uh, this year that when they heard you on the podcast or they know you and I are friends, they told me. I've had more than one, one guy tell me this year, and they said, Roland Cortez is one of the best that we've ever heard on, on a spec on. Man, and I, and I try, but I, I want to give a lot. You know, I said I give a lot of that to the people that I've learned from, you know, Bill Daniels, John Shasso, Nathan Wright, you know, all – World champion speckle battle callers. And, man, I learned so much, you know, from, from 
I'm listening to them and talking to them and hanging around them, you know. Like, again, I've talked about it before, man. I've been truly blessed to get to do what I do, man. And uh, a lot, I've met a lot of people in this business that put me where I'm at today. But everything started off with a duck call, man. I just wanted to be a better duck caller. I pushed myself at a young age to want to be a, a champion caller. And that's what led me to everything that's perspired today. And, and right now, you know, and, and when you hear me talk, or you listen to me tell stories. I'm on the I'm on that downward slope right now. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of like that Toby Fiesel. You know, I'm not <laughs> as good as I once was, but I'm as good as yeah, I Yeah, I got you. Uh, um, you know, I, and, and I am modest, man. I'm very humble. Uh, you know, um, just the way I was raised. You know, my my mom and dad raised yeah. me right. I'm, I'm just humble. You know, I'm I'm blessed every every day for sixty days or more to get to do what I love to do. Yeah, every amen. Day. Into that, and you are you're good. You're as good as they come, but I'll say that. And uh, um, you know, I, I I try to be as, as helpful to everybody that comes to me. You know, if, if I, I try to help everybody with whatever I can. You know, I, I just try to be a good person because everybody that put me in this business was good to me. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Yeah, and we all got to learn from somebody. So you know. The, all, the least we can do is pass on what you've learned to somebody else, and that's the greatest gift you could give them. And and that, that's what it's all about. It's, it's about passing it on to the next generation, man. I'm just hoping that, you know, your sons, you know, my sons or somebody else's sons just pass on any little bit of yeah. information. That I, they've I agree. Because, I mean, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for my dad, your dad, you know, your grandpa, you know, whatever, we wouldn't right. be doing yeah, I talk about that all the time, bro. I mean, that's that's where you pick up that passion from, or or somebody, you know, grabs you by the arm and says, "Hey, come with me," you know. And 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 it don't have to be necessarily a sibling. It could be a friend. It could be it, it could be a, a friend of the family. I mean, you know, it's all about taking somebody and exposing them to it. You know. So. Yeah. Yep, and, that, and that's what it's all about, man. And and. I try to take as many people as I can hunting, as many kids as I can. I, I probably should do more, but I'm kind of limited today with, you know, as far as when I can take off to go, you know, to do stuff like that. You know, when you're a guy, man, you got a guy. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I mean, you're working, man. That's your job, you know. So as much as it's a, so, a passion, um, you still work. But kind of hard I'm sorry. Times, but, go ahead. You know, but but, uh, but we do do. Uh, stuff for the youth at, at, at the lodge, you know, and stuff like that. So it, it, it's yeah. good to get everybody out. But um, but as far as the ducks, man, it's been a good year. I'm looking forward to, you know, the pond count that's going to happen in May and June. You know, man, we're just chugging along with February. I mean, a, a lot of things going on, you know. I'm, I'm back to reality. <laughs> I'm back to work. Back to yeah. my, my day job. Uh, still, still thinking about you know, ducks, you know, stinking, you know, the the best part about it, man, is that where we at at Dave's, you know, well, we build a lot of habitat for ducks, you know, and um, we try to imprint on ducks. We, we set a lot of stuff for the for the ducks mm-hmm. heading back north. They have a spot to stop. Yeah, the that's great. We need it. Um, You know, we have more and more habitat being built there and, and on a daily basis, you know, the owners are doing a really good job at creating more habitat, you know, for ducks. So not just ducks, but for all birds, all animals, 
you know, around, you know what I mean? They're doing a really good job at, at habitat there. And, and that habitat equals great, you know, a great duck season yeah. or a great duck hunt. And that's what, that's what it takes. But I really, I really need to get you and Jackson up there, man. You oh, I, to we'd love to go and just, uh, just see it. And I'd like to take some film of it just, just to see the facility, man. But well, we may do that pretty soon. I may take a ride up there just uh, just for um, you know just to take a ride one day. We, you know, we yeah, we may. That'd be a great summer project, man. We could go up during the summer, take a look at it. You know, that's something that I, I talked about. I actually want to do that to keep some of the content going through the summer rolling. As a, I want to visit some places like that, man. Uh, you know, like even some of the call makers like well, Iceland and places like that. I know you know those guys real well, man. I want to, I want to maybe make a couple of a one day trip and go see because we got so many great companies here in Louisiana, man, that are right here in our backyard. I want to do that, kind of tell those stories, you know. And uh, that's just kind of my bucket list. I kind of want to do more of that, you know. So I love, we'd love to go up there and do something like that. Yeah, I mean, man, we, we can maybe do that one day. Maybe do a a, a live podcast yeah. from or from the lodge or some stuff like that. I want to show y'all some some of the habitat management we got going on up there. Yeah, we'll well, let's do that, man. Let's make that happen. I think I think all of you, the viewers and the listeners, I think you guys would love to hear that as well. And uh, I mean, that, that's a, that's an awesome idea. And it keeps hey, it keeps it. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure I could talk to Bill Bill Daniels, and maybe we can go you know yeah. we can go visit him one day and. There's a uh, man, uh, another guy that I haven't met. I just yeah, Mr. Dale. I haven't made a trip. I, I, I know Mr. You know, Dale pretty well through social uh, media. We've talked, but uh, we tried to have Mr. Dale on about three years ago on a podcast, but the whole technology thing was kind of throwing things off. And we said, hey, I told him, I said, eventually I'd like to go see you maybe and we could just do one live in person, you know. And, and Mr. Dale, since then, Mr. Dale pulled in for was that ride up to your place um, on a weekend one day? Let me know. I'd love to go. Ride yeah, we need to do that. To we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make that stuff happen, man. Because so, that uh, that'll definitely feed the the flame know, until till season comes back around for sure. You know. So watching, you know, watching Dale stuff, man, it's got me thinking. You know, which I did do some of it this year, yeah. going back to the old ways. You know, blowing. Old duck calls and, and shooting old guns. If you notice, some of my pictures, man, I was shooting the side really? by side I, and I over and under. Man, you know them. Uh, you know, just having good <laughs> shots, man, it just <laughs> it makes it a little yeah. tough. But look, I enjoyed it, man. Um, I shot yeah. it over and under, yeah. and side by side, and man, it was it was. Fun I got a couple myself. I got a. I picked up. Uh, shoot, two years ago. So I think it was. I picked up a 1927 Ithaca 20-gauge side-by-side that I got at a pawn shop, and uh, I have not shot it yet. I wanted to shoot it this year. I was shooting boss early on, and I planned to, to try to shoot some boss through it, and I never did. I went to a 20-gauge this year for the entire season, rolling. and honestly, that's one of the best decisions I ever made going to a 20-gauge, and that's a whole other conversation, but when I picked up a 20 gauge, I never put it back down. And I want to find a hundred with it all season. I shot my, my 12 gauge two times. 
uh, duck hunting. I did you? Twenty all year long. And uh, uh, so the oh, over and under okay. was a twenty gauge, um, and I loved it. Well, and people said, "Man, why you shoot a twenty gauge? You know, you're taking away from your efficiency." I said, "Man, the twenty gauge has no kick, and you can shoot just almost." You can okay, shoot, thank you. Can thank you because I told people all season long when they asked the that. I had a couple of guys see me, and they're like, man, you're shooting a 20 gauge? And I'm like, yeah. I went to a 20 gauge, you know, uh, and honestly, I loved it so much, I just never put it down. That's what I told them. And they said, you don't lose distance, you know, and, and that's something that I thought was going to be an issue. But honestly, Roland, I don't, I haven't lost any kind of distance out of it from what I can tell. Uh, and maybe that's, you know, just saying something about the, the shot shield technology they got nowadays, you know, and all that's improved too. But I, I will say this about it. When you shoot a 20 gauge, you got the tendency to want to let them yeah. go a lot closer. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I was shooting boss fives, you know, boss fours. Um, I played around with a lot of ammo this year. Yeah. I shot some Apex. I shot some Migras. I don't know if no. you ever shot the Migras. I shot both yet, three fives. makes a, a, a blend load for a 20 gauge. It's okay. a two-four blend, and uh, they were hard to find this year. But man, it was a and good that's the, that's the Um I shot the baby. Yeah, the migrants. Get, get you the two-four, the two-four blend. Um, I shot that, and I shot some apexes. I love the apexes too. They're a clean burning shell, man. Beautiful shell, shoots really well out of a twenty gauge. So, uh, but, but I mean, I shot all three of them, and I liked all three of them. So yeah. it's kind of hard to choose from, but. The apex I was shooting was steel shot. The migras were steel shot, yeah. and the bosses were the bismuth. Now, don't get me wrong. Them boss fives were bad. I, heard. I, I can tell you this. I shot them. I ran out eventually, which I will not do next year. But I shot the three five blend in 20 gauge, so, and rolling when you hit them burns, it was one shot. It was devastating to them. I, I'll tell people this, that yeah. if you ever shot lead, Yes, That's it exactly is. Exactly like shooting. Yes, lead. it is. There's no, there's no cripples. When when you hit that bird with them bosses, with that bismuth, it doesn't matter if it's boss or whatever. But you hit it with that bismuth, yep. it's a dead. And even on shots that dead. you, you know how sometimes you pull up and you know you just didn't get that great shot on. If if that bird had any kind of fellas in it, it was down. It was it was going down. So I told that to this guy one time, I shot a bird, the feathers flew and it died. I said, man, I said, if the feathers fly from steel shot, most of the time it, it, it may fly off. But when, but when the feathers fly, when you shoot it with them, it's dead. And stone cold nope, dead. I agree. It made a believer out of me. I'll be honest with you. They're not cheap. But hey, even steel shot, and the cheapest steel shot now is not cheap. I mean, so if you can that's the time, that's the time of the month, so, rolling like we do into this sport, and you serious about it, go ahead and spend that extra money on, on that ammunition like that if you can get it and access it because it's worth it. And, yeah, it's worth it. You know, a, a good case of steel shot running $300 yeah. a case right now, man. You can get a case of balls. Correct. You can get the ball bag, buy it they had this year. It was 300 bucks, somewhere in that range, you know? So, but. Yeah. You know, the ammo, 
I said, and like I said, the, with the price of ammo these days, yeah. And uh, but besides that, I mean, I I, I would want to bring this up, and and I want to talk to you about it. <laughs> when y'all were hunting in the marsh, did you notice that the birds were a lot more weird? Yeah. You know, a lot of you know birds were kind of stale. Yeah, early on, on finish, right? Split, they, they were in the decoys. We were shooting them over the decoys, but. I, you know, I look back at some of the video we shot, and as it progressed, kind of toward, you know, I say after the first couple of weeks, let's say that that it opened. I, I had a lot of people get on this year for for water swatting. I, I, we took a lot of heat for that this year, and I even had two guys to initiate. They're like, man, you put that on video, that's illegal to water swat. You're not supposed to water swat a duck on the water. And they, they literally thought that water slot was illegal. And it's not that we're, we were trying to water slot them on purpose, which it's not illegal, by the way, at least not in Louisiana. I don't think it is anywhere. But well, that's what I anywhere. thought, you know. And, and, I mean, when I told them, I said, guys, if you could get them that close in and they uh, sit down on the water, what is better than that, you know? Now, we try to get up and get them up in the air, but, that's that's why it looks great on camera. It looks pretty and everything, and, and, and you know that's what you want to do. But that's not always the case. And to your point that you were, your question you were asking, what was happening? A lot of those birds after the first couple of weeks in the marsh rolling, they were kind of working the edge of the decoys. No matter how we fixed the spread, what we took in, what we took it out, and they were kind of weary and landing on the outer edges of the decoys is what they were doing. Or just off to the sides of the decoys, maybe I, like we were hunting point. If we were hunting a point, they might land right off to the side of the point. So yeah, I do see. I do agree with that. I think that they were wearing after the first couple of weeks, somewhat, and that's really why you saw us taking some of those shots like that. You know, um, just because they come in and sit down before you even knew they were on the water. You know, that that's at least how it felt to us. You know, and what we what we experienced. But uh. Once we went well, to the timber in the second split, that was completely different. It was it was beautiful, man. We were able to work the birds. You, you call. We stepped to some light calling. And Jackson will tell you that. We laid off the calls. Honestly, just to get, tell you what we did, we didn't use a mojo, I think, but maybe we want this season. We used a, a mojo on one hour this season. And we had birds. We light call, we do a little bit of light calling, and they would work, make one pass around the timber, and they'd come in on us rolling. They were working in your face, you know, for that. But the marsh, it was a little bit different. Yeah, and uh, again, for whoever was saying that, why you water swat, you know, ducks, the whole point of waterfowl hunting is to finish ducks as close as possible. When I get up in the morning and I go duck hunting, I want them ducks to get as close as possible. So if they land on the water, that means that I've done my job as a duck hunter or a waterfowl caller to to commit to make that duck commit or, or come as close as, as I could or make that bird think that I was a real bird. That's the whole purpose of blowing a duck call. Pass shooting ducks are easy. But when you can take a duck, and put it in the decoys, put it in your lap or in the wheelhouse, as you hear me talk about it. That's that's why is that get such a bad So somebody that says that man, you shouldn't shoot ducks on the water. 
They need not come in my double line because let me tell you something. I'm going to shoot them on the wall. You got to take them where they come, you know? And why does that get such a bad rap in your opinion? You've heard guys say that before, right? I, I have no I, I have no clue. Now, don't get me wrong. If that bird lands and he's real Correct. close, I'm going to try to jump him up. That's because that point where they jump up on that water, that's that to me is a prime opportunity to take him at that point, you know? But the whole point of blowing a duck call, setting up a spread, is to work these ducks, man, to work up to making them think that your your spread is real. So why not try to get yeah. that duck to land? You know, pass you, man, I mean, sometimes you have to do it. we got to pass you, too, because sometimes the ducks don't want to commit. But when them ducks want to commit feet down in your face, man, Take that, you know. If I'm guilty of anything, Roland, it's probably not passion shooting at birds that some people would shoot at. I hunted, yeah, I hunted with a couple of people this year that, you know, we what I thought was not an ethical shot because they were passing shots, you know. And and I had like two occasions I could recall where the guys were like, man, why you didn't shoot that? And I looked at them and said, well, why you didn't shoot it? Well, you didn't shoot something I didn't shoot. And, and honestly, the reason being is because I didn't think it was a high percentage shot for me to try to take a pass of that bird and possibly cripple it, you know? So, and, and that's being honest with you, you know? So, I like to work the birds in close if I could get them in close. And I'm not a, no expert caller by any means, but I like to get them. Who, I mean, as a waterfowl hunter, like you said, who don't want to get them as close as they can get them, you know, for a higher chance and percentage of, of taking them ethically? That's what you're looking for. I mean, I'm going to call at them. I'm going to let them circle me as many times. But I know the more times they circle me, the less chance I got on killing that bird. So if that bird doesn't commit yeah. within a pass or two, when he presents a shot, I'm going to take it because yeah. I know he's yeah. got And that's a little different than what I was talking about. But you know, yeah. Most of the time, you know, a, bird that's, will, that's a, that's a, a bird will make a pass or he'll make a, a pass, another pass. And if you can't, because the more times he's going to circle your blind, yeah, he's you educating him more and more each pass. That's right. He's being yeah. educated more and more. And, you know, I, I noticed a lot of that this year, man. The birds did not want to finish right. They'd circle and circle and circle. And, again, and it depended on the day. Same thing with blowing a duck call or blowing any kind of call, man. So a lot of times being not making a sound, Kill more ducks than making a sound. So, you know, uh, I learned a long time ago from Eli Hidell. You know, when you see ducks out in the distance, you don't have to call on every flock of ducks. You only call at the ducks that that you think want to be worked. With ducks that are flying slow, that's, that's, flying a, that's a great point, Roland. You know, because I told, I talked to some younger hunters this year, and I, that's my exact point I made to them. I said. I told a couple of guys, I said, learn to tell which birds are willing to work and possibly commit as compared to blowing at every flock that you see right. in the area. Because you'll, you'll talk to guys and they'll say, man, I saw 500 birds today, you know, uh, but I only killed three or I didn't kill any or, you know, whatever the case might be. But the way I see that, I look at that differently just from, I guess, my years of being in a flock. Yeah, you, it's Great to see all those birds because there's birds migrating and there's birds pushing through wherever they're going. 
but that's not birds that we actually had a chance at working, you know, and, and, and having a high percentage chance to be able to take, you know. That's the birds that I'm looking for that mean something to me when I'm in the blind as compared to what I see in the stratosphere on the move all the time, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right there, Jacob, but there, there are certain places that, you know, like kind of where we at up there, man, with a lot of traffic birds. Yeah. You, know, you have to call a lot at them, which you know, some places you do. But once that duck gets kind of close to you, you don't have to call at it that much. You know, you break that duck, he's real high, you break him down, you get him circled, but once he gets him within 100 yards, you have to learn yeah. to tone That's, that's important. You know, you, you, want, you want to play cat and mouse with him. You know, you want to give him yeah. Just enough to catch it. Whenever that bird doesn't doesn't do what you want it to do, you 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 know you call at it. You you you, you want to try to turn him around, make him come back to you, but give him just enough room yeah. to hang Good himself. Point. You know, you want to play that's mouse with it, man a lot yeah. of times. And that comes with experience, bro. You learn. But, you kind of learn to to read that bird with experience. I mean, you know, that just that, the more hours you got in the blind. You learn that as you get older, you know? And, um, you know, I, I want to talk about a particular hunt, man. We, we were on a, a five- or six-day span where we were shooting limits of speckle bellies. Then I hit one day where I couldn't get a speckle belly to do nothing, not even look. They wouldn't even look at me. They'd pass over me, wouldn't do nothing. And I've tried everything. I've tried different calls. I've tried not calling. I've tried calling it. You know, and there's some days where they don't want to be talked to at all. You can't, you know, they just don't want to work. Oh, uh, you know, some some days they may want some clucks. Some days they may want yodels or they may want murmurs or whatever. You know, same thing with a duck. You know, they may want to be quacked at. They may want to be whistled at. You know, you have to take each, each day is different. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I can't figure out these birds out. And then all of a sudden, Boom, I hit one flock of specs, they worked. So each each flock of birds was different. But man, I mean I went all morning long, I couldn't get a speck to yeah. dust, they wouldn't even look at me. And then boom, all of a sudden the light switched. I mean, the yeah. birds just started to work. So you know, and that's what I tell you know, that's right. I mean the birds were just them birds were still, they got tired of hearing it, could have been the weather conditions and a lot of my Good hunting days were yeah. on sunny days again. You know, I had some decent hunts on a cloudy day, but the sunny days were the better. I knew when the sun was out, yeah. they'd give it up. You know, so no sun, no fun. When the sun, you know, out, I struggle with that. I'm going back and forth with that. <laughs> and we say, we say the birds they want different things on different days, and I guess that's a, there's a lot of truth to that because last year, last season. We had me and Jack had some really good days on nasty, rainy, misty, just cloudy days. We had some good hunts. This year, like you said, then Sundays, so we me and him talked about it. He's like, God, I thought I thought the better days on the cloudy days, you know? And I was like, Man, Dad apparently don't know what he's talking about. When he thinks he has to figure it out, I don't, you know. Because this year they wanted them sunny days, you know. That was that was the better days for us too. If if you look at my last two hunts of the the two thousand, you know the 
2023 season were both nasty, cloudy, rainy days. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, we killed them. But and I'm not saying we would have killed more if it had been sunny, which you can only yeah. shoot so many, you can only shoot your limit, right? But what I like about on a sunny day, the ducks work so much better on a sunny day. You know, them, them, them ducks will parachute from high, man, and come on down. On them cloudy days, you know, you just yeah. pass shooting a lot of ducks. And yeah. I mean, we shot them on every, you know, like I said, the last two days were cloudy, nasty, rainy days. We shot limits both days, but they just wasn't, you know, they, they, they weren't going to work pretty, you know, because of the, yeah. the clouds. They were different. They just reacted differently. Yeah. That's right. But besides that, man, it was just a, you know, you kind of had to take every day different. You know, some days they wanted to be called out a lot. Some days they didn't. Some days they wanted bigger spreads. Some days they wanted little spreads. They didn't want mojos. They wanted mojos. There was one day in particular that this year that I actually seen them really? the land on the mojo. There was a day that I could have shot a hundred pintails. And they wanted to land on the mojo. I'm talking literally, they were fluttered. Flocks they were fighting the early on. <laughs> I mean, and then there's some days where you want to take them and shoot them or whatever, but, but for that reason, when I would turn the mojo off, we wouldn't kill them. But when I leave it running, we kill them. They, they were actually, Jake, they'd hover yeah. over that over yeah. the mojos. I just tell you. Right there, we don't know what the hell we do. You got to be out there and go on. No, man. And and that's what I tell everybody. When, when, when we get there in the morning, well, how many ducks are we going to shoot? <laughs> man, I don't know. I said, but every day is different here. I shot 10 yesterday, and boom, we can you up, imagine, hey, shot 30. Bro, can you imagine so, Vegas has put out eyes on duck hunters? Oh. Oh. Yeah, I mean, and and... That's what I tell everybody. You got to yeah, go. yeah. just go, man. Don't worry about the weather. Don't worry about nothing. Just go and hunt it, and have a good Amen time. Amen to that. Just go. Go, dude. We only get 60 days. Go have fun while we got them. Yeah. So, so um, I've seen a while. Uh, I, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there, there's some new regulations coming out as far as model ducks. You and know, I can't catch you have it with all, So I, I, I think it's a proposal. I don't know if it passed yet. That next year we will we will not be able to shoot model ducks or scout for the first oh, ten or fifteen boy. days. That's gonna mess up a lot of boys. Thinking it's a mallard and scout. That's I mean, they scout scout for we That's most of most boys. That's most of your limit. You know, not early on. Now it's proposed. I don't know. If you, you, you might want to keep an eye out for that uh, newsletter or whatever uh, there, Jake, to see if uh, if it really does happen. But I've I seen it a while back that the wildlife yeah. fishery had posted that. It was a proposal. And the dates, I think, um, you know, not much changed as far as when it's going to open. But, but I did see that. I think next year we're going to go all the way to January 31st as far as the closure. Yeah. So that, that'll be good. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure on the split wise. Yeah. I mean, how long the split? Hey, I wouldn't be a fool 
supposed to a little bit longer split in between in the middle, you know, and then and then go up in January. That, that could be good. Yeah, I mean, um, give it a little rep, a little more time, a little split time for the yeah. guys to build up. But you know, come January, it's yeah. always tough. But yeah. you know, everybody wants them. Everybody wants more days in January, but man, really the duck up yeah, in January ain't really that good anyway. About that, you know, early on and throughout the middle portion of the season, you're your prime time, really. But you know, who knows? I mean, I. I guess we gotta try to see how how it works. If it don't work, they can always change it back. You know, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, anything no, else you want to cover, uh, We've kept everybody a little longer tonight, but uh, I think we covered a lot of good stuff tonight, man. Uh, is the last one of the season as far as the recap goes for the for the for the season? And uh, there's a lot of content that we had that we shared. So we hope everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Roller, man, I can't thank you enough, dude. You're good to us. You're always willing to come on. You and I run a lot of stuff by each other when we talk. And uh, glad to have you, brother. I'm glad to have you as a, as a friend. Glad to have you as a, as a contributor to the podcast because you got a lot of good knowledge you have to share, man. Man, Jacob, I cannot thank you enough, man, for letting me come on here and tell my story. But again, like I said, we, we have to. We have to hunt together. We have to yeah. catch up sometime, teal season or somehow or another. We do. We, need to, we do. We, we need to. We need to find maybe teal season. That might be a good time we can get together and do it, Roland. If uh, if you're not too far off for that, you know. No, uh, but I, I'm definitely uh, whenever I get a weekend that I decide to drive up yeah. to anybody, I'm Let's do that. available. Maybe we can Especially ride or something like that. That'd be a good day for you. We can do that right now. It's busy time for us. With my real job during the end of the summer, we we nonstop Monday through Saturday sometimes with selling boats to everybody trying to find boats. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I want to do that. I really do. I'm serious about that. I want to take that trip. If you can set that up, let's do it. We'll take a trip up there. And we'll we'll share it with everybody, all of you who are listening to this podcast, and everybody who follows all our social media, including Roland. Man, we love to share that with y'all. Sure. I mean, I'd love to get y'all up there. And again, uh, Jacob, man, thank you so much for letting me come. Anytime, brother. Anytime, Roland. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Maybe we'll do it again here soon. So let's uh, just take care of yourself. And uh, if you need something, man, you know how to reach out to us. Same here, Jacob. Thank you, man. You too. Bye-bye. All right, guys, so that's all we got for this episode. We appreciate you tuning in to the union wrap-up that we did for you guys here tonight with our guest, Roland Cortez, the duck man, Roland Cortez. And I know if you're watching, you can probably still see Roland on, uh, on IG Live right now. But, uh, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Y'all take care. This is Jacob from Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. This episode is also brought to you by Benoit Performance Baits. Bait and tackle for all your fishing needs. Benoit Performance Baits offers some of the best soft plastics for bass, sackalay, and saltwater fishing. Whether it's a day on the water trying to catch a mess of fish for a family fish fry, 
or a heavy bag to win a tournament. We have what you need and what the fish want. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok to place your order now. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you.